Join us, friends. Great Scott, Spock guy. Do they know what we have in store for them? They will if they tighten up. And don't double dribble. To the Grey Ghost, Spock guy? Exactly, old chum. No time to waste. To the Grey Ghost. We have not a minute to spare. It's showtime, friends. All right, all right, all right. It is the Spock guy, and it is... Globe trotting with Trey. And we are not... Wishing Cotton was a monkey, but we know that there are people out there that are. <laughs> so what we're going to talk about, this is season two, episode three. This is early in the year of 2024. Could you believe, Trey, it is 2024? Yeah, that's that's hard to believe, uh, but I, I am excited that this is episode Trey of the season. So <laughs> That's it. You know, so three. we had a little situation last season <clears throat> where – we did an episode where we were supposed to talk about jobs that we did in the past. And I'm saying that Trey and I did, and we were going to talk about, and I, for whatever reason, I thought that that's what we talked about. And uh, we've done a lot of these, but I actually did, I named it that, that we talked about Mm -hmm. that. And I did stuff. And I honestly did not even go back to watch it to see what we actually talked about. So I don't know what we actually talked about. Well, what I do know is that people wrote to me and went, you didn't talk about that. So in this episode, we'll try to stay on track and um, talk about uh, past previous jobs that we did. And then we're going to go on to talk about previous jobs that famous people did that you wouldn't even expect um, uh, and there's so many, of course, there's a lot of famous people and there's such a wide variety of jobs out there. Um, when you were growing up, Trey, what did you, uh, want to be? Did you have a dream of being something? A professional basketball player. I knew that's what you were going to say. Uh, if, if I could have been a little taller, I might've been there. But you know what? You went on to play basketball in college mm-hmm. and, and had some success, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You got there. You got there. And I wanted to be a professional singer and entertainer. And I did that for a lot of years. Uh, I'm too old now for all of that. But uh, I played in bands and sang and made money and uh, came to Nashville and did a record and uh, toured and and did a lot of stuff and had a great time. Um, it's, uh, It's like so many things in life it's a lot better on paper than it is on in reality. Um, it's on that list of things that look fun, but they're not. <clears throat> kind of like, uh, and I'll give you an example of something that's on that list, and that would be paddle boats. Um, have you ever ridden a paddle boat? Yeah. Okay. So paddle boats, to me, they look fun, but when you get out there in the middle of the lake and you got to paddle back in, it's not fun at all. And so that's on that list for me. Yeah, I can. <laughs> you see the you see the pier in a mile a mile away. Yeah, can you, know, you think of anything that would be on your list of things that look fun but they're not? Um, look fun, but they are not. Let me think about it. Let me think about it. All right. So while he's thinking about it, we'll move on to a couple of different things. So I'll go. Um, speaking of wanting to be a professional musician and a singer, my very first. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that because. I worked in I I worked in farming uh, when I was probably ten or eleven years old. I drove a tractor and pulled. Believe it or not, we picked cucumbers, 
and I drove the tractor for a cucumber picker uh, machine where people would ride on the machine and they would pull the cucumbers and put them in a thing and it would send it up and they would crate them. And you would pull the tractor and you had to stay even in the uh, in the rows and then go down and turn around and come back. Mm-hmm. But the people rode real close to the ground so they could pull the cucumbers. So okay. basically they were hovering over the cucumbers and they could pull them. You stick them in a conveyor belt and it would take it up to the second floor where they would crate them. Wow. And, and uh, I did that and my brother. Now, I didn't do that a long time. A lot of people where I was from worked in tobacco during the summers and stuff like that. Um, generally I would go with my dad. He was a swimming pool builder. And, uh, and when I'm saying uh, not at 10 or 11 years old, this would have been probably 13, 14 years old, somewhere in that neighborhood. I started going with him, uh, and doing pouring concrete, building swimming pools, driving the backhoe. That's how I learned to drive the backhoe. I don't know if you saw the video I did, uh, where I changed my water pipe at my house and I had to rent a backhoe recently. Okay. And um, driving, running a backhoe or operating a backhoe is the way they would say it, is not something you just know how to do. Now, that doesn't mean that somebody can't go rent one and dig a hole. But if you're doing it the way professional backhoe operators do it, where where you're you're facing this way with the backhoe and the bucket, the front bucket's on the other end, you turn the front bucket down and you lift the tractor, the front of it. So when you're pulling, it's not dragging the tractor around and you put the outriggers down. And then when you get enough space dug, you pull the outriggers up, you reach up, you pull the bucket up and you take the back bucket and push the tractor away, put the front bucket back down to hold it, put the outriggers out and then you can dig again. And so it's just a thing that you learn to do. And I watched my dad run that backhoe. Um, And I was even, you know, I didn't get a driver's license till I was 16, but I was driving. uh, My dad had a, uh, a truck that he drove. And then we had a dump truck that pulled a trailer with the backhoe on it. And I was driving that dump truck, pulling the backhoe at 14. Wow. You know, and it's not like I was out driving around. We would drive it from one job site to the other. Right. Right. At 14, 15, 16 years old, I learned to run the backhoe, drive the dump truck. In fact, I've got a funny story about the dump truck. Um, And this particular one was not my dad's dump truck. I don't think I've ever told you this story. Um, we were at a place and we were digging um, uh, a, a pool out. And of course, when you dig a swimming pool, you have extra dirt. So you got to figure out what you're going to do with the dirt. And my dad had a place that if we didn't have any place to put the dirt, and of course, dirt has value for some people. They want to fill in their their yards and that kind of stuff. So in this particular case, there, uh, my dad didn't have anybody to sell the dirt to. And we had borrowed a, uh, a friend of my dad's dump truck. It was a Ford. Um, I think it was an F650, F700, some, somewhere in that size range. It wasn't a giant dump truck. It was a, a just a dual rear wheel. So it was six tires, you know. Um, and so it wasn't a giant dump truck. And that thing, I drove it like a race car, of course. And uh, I remember uh, Dad would load the truck, and I was supposed to take it over to this field and just drop it off and come back. And I started thinking, well, I think I could sell this dirt. So on the way, I stopped off and asked people, and I finally, I sold all of it. Wow. I just started taking it to people's houses and dropping it off and selling it. And when I got back, I showed my dad all the money I had. And he, you know, of course, we split split the money. But he got mad with me because I blew the exhaust manifolds out on the truck by driving it so hard. 
he ended up having to do mechanic work to the engine because I had damaged it. I ran it so hard that it cracked a manifold and did some stuff. And he got mad at me about that. But, you know, when you're 16 years old, 15 years old, man, you're just glad to be driving. And of course I thought I was a race driver. So I was yeah, out there after. I can you see know. you're gunning that thing. Right? <laughs> as fast and hard as I could go. Right, so how did you go about selling the dirt? Um, you know, I don't remember. I just remember stopping at different places and, and it was a small, t you know, we lived, this would have been when we lived outside of Kinston, between Kinston and LaGrange out in the country. And I don't, rem I can remember the neighbor that was my dad's friend. He lived in the same neighborhood that did similar work to my dad. Um, and we borrowed his dump truck. He lived on the, on the back road back there. And I remember going and getting it. I remember the thing, the dump truck was light blue and it was a Ford. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't remember how I sold it, but I think I just stopped and asked somebody, Hey, you yeah, know, anybody yeah. needs any dirt? And they were like, well, yeah, uh, I think my cousin Johnny needs some. So I went over to Johnny's and he was like, yeah, I'll take some. Well, I think Jim needs some, you know, it was that kind of thing. And send you somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, like I say, a, uh, not a real big community. Um, so it was just one of those things, but, um, I just, always had that entrepreneurial spirit of going out and selling things and figuring out how to make money and, and, you know, doing that kind of stuff. Um, <clears throat> so what kind of stuff have you done? I, we, uh, so tell us, uh, for people that don't know what you do for a living at this moment. Well, let's see where do I start at. Um, I have a business where I do social media video marketing which means I uh, take over people's Facebook pages, uh, Instagram pages, and I create content throughout the month. But I'm not like a normal social media marketer that you would think because I'm a video, I'm a filmmaker. So I create video commercials, um, interviews with customers because uh, I have restaurants, I have dentist offices, I have uh, power sports companies, I have... Um, city governments, you know, I have a lot of different, my, all my businesses are different. So, you know, I just think it's important, just like I was doing with a tiger man uh, to interview customers that came into the building and say, you know, how, how did you enjoy, enjoy the, the museum? And, you know, you have, uh, I want people to speak from their hearts. So that's what I do with my businesses. And I create uh, video content during throughout the month for my uh, clients uh, but also I am the uh, videographer of my, of my city, uh, also the videographer of our Main Streets um, program. And uh, so I have and a lot of... The Main Street program is designed to create more business for the town, that kind of thing, right? Yeah, yeah. so uh, they've hired me to do films, to uh, do, do films, create content. So I'm doing... I'm actually kind of doing like I, I do with Elvis. I've, I go out and research uh, stories that's happened in our main street district and show the buildings back then. Uh, and then show the buildings today. And did you know, you know, no one knows these stories and mm -hmm. I'm bringing them back to life with photos, just like I'm doing with Elvis and people, yeah. are, people are enjoying that. Um, and no one does it. There ain't no, there's no other main streets that are doing what I'm doing for that. Um, our main street. So I'm, I'm, I'm building something, starting something there. Um, so yeah, social media video manager is pretty much what I say, marketer. That's, That's what I'm doing cool. right now. Uh, and of course, also I, uh, I, um, 
I've I just edited a feature film. Uh, and there's another one that I'm in discussion of editing. Um, I probably hear it at some point this year. And that feature film is already out. It's on Amazon. It's on what? Amazon Prime, Tubi, yeah. uh, Tubi, Tubi. Okay. Uh, other apps, uh, movie apps that people have. Also, of course, acting. Um, you know, I just got you just an, did a commercial. I did that uh, um, commercial in Miami with uh, Epson Project Shakira. It's now airing uh, overseas and on social media and stuff like that. And um, yeah, so. And, I, and hers, Shakira, the Epson thing with Shakira was more pinpointed towards South America, right? So Brazil. Yeah. Area. Okay. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's running all over there. Latino country. Yeah. You know, yeah. she's Colombian. You know, Colombia. Okay, Colombia. Okay, he's now that they, they. She's the face of Epson in her country and over over. But that's what I'm saying. That's South America. That's yeah. going to be Latino countries. Yeah, yeah. South America. Yeah, yeah. And, and so so yeah, I'm on televisions all over there that's, in Central America. In Central America. So if you went to Colombia right now, you wouldn't be able to walk down the street without being mobbed, probably. And my, that's the surfer bro. That's that surfer yeah. dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh. Um, I mean, it's cool. Yeah. You saw the commercial. I saw it. Yeah. You know, and I show up at the door and she yeah. answers the door and it was pretty neat because she's in the scene with us. And I got to, if you, if you noticed, um, you know, they have the shot of, of me and the other actor at the door and then they cut to me walking in with Shakira mm -hmm. uh, and you see my, my nice little muscle right here in the, uh, uh, my surfboard as I walk by and I say hello to her, you know, as I walk by and she's, you know, in that shot. And then there's a wide shot of us. The whole she, group of the whole group. Uh, she was not in that shot, but she was in the shot outside. There's a big group shot outside, mm -hmm. uh, that they used, but yeah, that's cool. You know, it's, it's running. I just actually got an audition today that I have to shoot for another mm -hmm. commercial. So maybe, Maybe I'll book that and uh, it would be another Florida trip for me. Mm -hmm. That's cool. So, so y'all better, hope, an I, actor, better hope I actor. do what? You're a professional actor. You get paid to act. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I, I'm not doing it for free. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but a lot of actors have to do that for free. Uh, you know, when you start out uh, to get work, uh, to do have demo work and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Look, this acting thing is the the actors that you know everybody thinks that oh you're an actor you must be rich but the acting thing the only the actors that are rich are your superstars mm -hmm. are your um you know people that are on these tv shows that are popular tv shows uh, uh that's when you start really making money as an actor an actor you know, but there's a lot of actors that do a lot of bit parts and uh, that's really good money. It's really mm -hmm. good money if you can just get that steady work coming in. So, yeah, man, when, you know, I book stuff here and there, I'm I'm working on it. As I, I tell everyone, you never know. That's all you can do. You got to just give, get, get opportunity. That's right. And never know. Never know what happened because I didn't think this time last year I'd be in a commercial with Shakira. So, hey, it happened. Yeah. And it has to do with your look probably more than anything. I've got a friend, we have a mutual friend uh, that <clears throat> uh, I talked to over the Christmas holidays 
that has really started working a lot. But he has that look. He looks like a, um, uh, he has a very chiseled, uh, a certain look where he's getting parts as a bad guy or a, a, a German uh, officer okay. or yeah. a soldier or a police officer or uh, I think he even played, didn't he play, um, what was that thing he was doing with, uh, wasn't it, uh, was it Scorsese or, or Coppola? that he was playing uh the the strong man where he was uh I don't know if you saw those those photos um but that's a movie hadn't come that hasn't come out yet but he's working a lot but he has a very specific look for that you right. know what I'm saying yeah and uh so those guys he uh there's some, there's some guys that all of us know there's one that he is friends with Rick and Bubba on the Rick and Bubba show. They talk about him a lot. And I was trying to think of his name, but he's in almost every movie. He'll do what you're talking about. He'll play a bit part. He'll have 10 lines in a movie, but he's got 10 lines in 500 movies. There you and go. That's, that's how he made a living. And he's also a, um, uh, uh, this particular guy that I'm talking about is a stuntman type guy. And the guy that's friends with Rick and Bubba is a stuntman as well. And I'm not going to mention my friend's name because he may he may not want uh, that out there. But he is doing some amazing stuff. He sends me stuff all the time of, hey, man, I'm working on this now. Behind the scenes stuff. It's it's really, really cool. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I, I know some people that do, do stunts and um they uh that's kind of a way in to do some acting stuff is some of these stunt people that can act uh like i know the red did in it red yeah 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 Yeah, red was doing his own stunts and so you know yeah it's about your look that's all the acting is it's about your look you know i still keep my long hair yeah you know it's not a specific look for a specific thing exactly anytime i mean everything that i'm doing i'm thinking of acting well that's how you got cast as a surfer yeah, and then and then you know, remember I had my hair longer for a little bit. It's because mm-hmm. of the Wild Frontier TV show that I did. I played a frontiersman from eighteen twenty six, and that hair was needed for that character. That's why mm-hmm. I had my hair real long, mm-hmm. uh, and it was longer than I ever had it in my life, man. You know, and you know, of course. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, it's all about your look, Billy. It's all yeah. you know because I and you know, I can play younger. Yeah. You know, so that's a that's a good thing, too. Uh, A lot of people don't know that I acted a little bit. I'm in a couple of different movies. I did the soundtrack for a movie. I did all the music for a movie uh, called The Bell Witch Haunting. Um, I played a lawyer in a in a movie I did. When I first moved to town, when I first moved to Nashville, um, I did a lot of local plays at the Sumner County Theater. And so I was in a lot of plays and that kind of stuff, which is very different than acting, as you know, in a in a movie or a TV show. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's learning lines and doing them over and over and over and over and over again. And uh, I'm not real good at learning my lines and that kind of stuff. What's it like? What's it like to to be in that moment on stage when there's a crowd and you can't blow your lines? It's scary. And uh, and I. I struggle remember my lines sometimes, you know. Yeah. Um, Did you ever go blank? 
Oh yeah, absolutely. I went black on stage during the show. Yeah, absolutely. You just have to keep going. Well, well, what'll happen is they'll pro you know somebody there knows you are having a, a moment and they'll say something that they'll go oh, you know. So they'll say you know you were supposed to say like for instance if I was supposed to say um, you know I think we should go to supper and they would look at me and go you know are you hungry? <laughs> You're just sitting there like oh. <laughs> And I tried not to let it happen much, but now I wasn't doing that full time. I had a real job during the day. Yeah. So I was trying to learn those lines at night and had a family and kids and all that. But yeah. I love the um I love the idea, but just was not very good at it. Mm -hmm. Um and I was acting with some people that had done some really cool stuff. A guy named um uh Frank Fox. Frank has done he does a lot of um horror movies. And uh, they do, he does full production horror movies. Uh, and I've never been in one, but that's kind of his forte. And he was in a lot of movies. He was in The um, the Last Castle with Robert uh, Redford. He was in a lot of stuff. So I was on stage with some guys that had chops and, and ladies that have done a lot of stuff, um, which is very intimidating. You know, I wanted to do things and I had the opportunity to do some stuff, but it also takes commitment, you know. You've got to want to do that, like what you're doing. You're committed to, uh, you You didn't just start acting. You went and studied. You took classes. Uh, you have a guy that uh, manages you. You get uh, uh, auditions now. And the audition process, by the way, is a lot easier now than it used to be. Back when I was auditioned, you had to go there. Now you do it by camera and just send in an audition, and they choose you by your look. Because yeah. you got to think about it, like how many of you out there would drive two hours every weekend to a class and drive back? Yeah, I did that. Yeah, uh, to Atlanta. It takes uh, and, commitment, you know, and 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 it's it's passion, and you know, the acting thing is like this: it's it's not like you're going in there to become a doctor or a lawyer or a teacher or where you take these classes and get a degree and then you go and do that job. And acting is you take these classes, you might not get any jobs. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, um, I mean, that's, you know, it's not like you get a, you know, they, you have all these scam things about, you know, come and study acting at this acting film Academy uh, uh, to become a professional actor. Now, come on now, people. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> you know, you don't get a degree in your hand and then you're just going to go and just become um in the movies, mm -hmm. you know, but what you need is an agent, you need some headshots, get your agent, your agent sends you some auditions. You get the sides for the auditions. You do a videotape today in the comfort of your home, own home now, because it's all changed. And definitely with COVID, let's go, you know, and luckily I was setting self tape, uh, taping years before COVID. So, you know that, I mean, I'm good at self tapes. I can do it all. Cause I'm an editor, I'm a filmer and I'm an actor. I see it all on all in a different, I don't see it just as acting. I see it as a uh, video guy and mm -hmm. editor. Uh, everything's in editing the, the movies, it, the scenes are your editor makes the scenes, mm -hmm. you know, the, 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 the pace of <clears throat> and things like that. Um, now editors are different when you shoot like a, um, you know, say if I'm filming you, Billy acting up and I film the camera for like 15 minutes and I just like do that one clip and don't make any cuts, mm -hmm. not any editing. 
mm-hmm. you actually like played what really happened. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. An editor, you know, creates uh, with different takes of shots and angles. Mm-hmm. And, um, and he has to be able to see the story and how to tell the story with shots and angles. Right. And I, I, I love, I do love editing. I do enjoy editing. Um, but I'm, I'm like Clint Eastwood. I, I, I want to do my own, be my own director. Well, I guess be, be, be the editor and also the actor, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's my ultimate goal, which I think might have an opportunity uh, to do at some point. Yeah, maybe this year. Yeah, I'm sure you will. And, uh, and by the way, friends, this particular uh, format that we're using now, when we're doing these uh, podcasts, these are one take. Yeah. We hit record and we go for 45 minutes and then we hit end and that's it. We yeah. don't edit these. So. Yeah. And, uh, because me and you are so busy editing other stuff that we needed a format where we could just go spend 45 minutes doing this. You know, we spend about an hour per episode roughly. And, uh, and that way it doesn't take too much time out of our week. Or day. See, For our Elvis shows uh, that you do, the history shows that I do and, is, you know, we're not sitting like we are right now and filming our shows and then going in there, download and make two cuts and boom, there's a show. That's not what we do. And, you know, we're, we're completely different. <laughs> so yeah. we go to locations, we uh, go inside locations and we film the story from the actual place. So that takes what? It takes commitment and it takes work. It does. And editing uh, seems easy, but I've got 10 minute videos that I did that are Elvis videos that I spent 10 hours on editing, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's, there's uh, gives and takes for all that. So let's go back to uh, way back in the day. So I'm going to go back to way back in the day for me, I worked at McDonald's for uh, less than one month. In, in Kenston on Main Street, there was a McDonald's there, and I went and got a job there. And that's when chicken nuggets had not been out very long. So I would have been 16 in 1981, and I remember that the chicken nuggets, I don't know when they came out, but I do recall that they hadn't been out long when I was working at McDonald's yeah. at that time. But that didn't last long. That was one of those things where I was there, and I was like, I, this is not this is not my my thing, I don't think. So I ended up working um playing in a band playing drums in a band uh that we played uh, a lot of weekends and i made money doing that and then when i started uh 17 18 years old i actually worked i don't know if i ever told you this i worked at the coffee shop in the hospital in kinston yep and i worked there and now you had a lot of fringe benefits there um, one of the benefits was you could eat and drink as much as you wanted while you were, oh, yes. while you were there. That's and great. A 17 year old boy, <laughs> 17, 18 we're all over the place. Yeah. Oh Lord, man. I could eat them out of house and home. They didn't know what they had signed up for. And, uh, so what I, I remember going there, what I would do is when I first got there, um, I would get, I love Pepsi. So I would make me a Pepsi, you know, they had the fountain drink. So I'd make me a Pepsi. And about four hours in, three hours in, I could no longer taste it. I had drank so much of it that it just didn't taste like anything. And uh, I would make, we had hot dogs there. And I remember as a customer come in, order a hot dog, I'd make two, one for me, one for them. And, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I did that. I'm, I don't know. 
I have no idea how long I worked there, but I remember going there and uh, my supervisor's name was Joy. I believe her name was Joy from my, from my memory. I may have that wrong, but I think that's right. But I remember um, the nurses would come in. There was this nurse that wasn't very nice. And she would make me mad because she would come in and want me to make a fresh pot of coffee just for her. And I would say, well, I just made this coffee. She'd go, nope, pour it out. I won't stand here and watch you make it for me. And I got in trouble one day because I said, nope, I'm not doing that. That's, <laughs> that's wasteful. And what makes you you know, better than anybody else that walks in here? And uh, she wrote me up. I got in trouble <laughs> over that. And uh, <laughs> She wrote you up? Yeah, she did. And, oh, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> you, you, so you spot got them at the, I, uh, yeah, I did. They did a little, some, something yeah, wrong. Yeah. And then I ended up going, uh, a lot of you probably don't know this. I was in the air force. I went in the air force after I graduated from high school and I was in the air force for a period of time. And then when I got back, I worked in the car business. Um, I started as a mechanic or actually I shouldn't even say that I started as a, um, a service writer. And I don't know if I ever told you this, uh, Trey, which uh, is kind of a funny story. <clears throat> I needed a job. And I was sitting there thinking, well, now what can I do? I don't know. I think I can fix cars. Had I done that before? <laughs> Just ever so slightly. During that time, too, a girl that I was dating, I worked for her father at a gas station when I was 16-ish. Yeah. Well, and so I had done some oil changes and at home, uh, if we had, if we needed brakes on our car, we, we put brakes on our car. If our dryer broke, we fixed our dryer. That's just what we did. Yeah. So I had knowledge of, of working on things, but had I ever worked at a real car place? Nope. And I walked into a car dealership and I applied. I remember I applied at the Chevrolet place. I applied at the Ford place and I applied at the Lincoln Mercury place. And I got the job at the Lincoln Mercury place. And the guy told me his name was Roland. And he told me, to be honest with you, I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, I'll hire you. He said, do you have tools? And I said, yeah, I got tools. He said, I'll hire you. But um, I don't really have a, a, a spot for a mechanic right now. But I have a spot for a service rider. So you'll be my service rider. Just make sure you bring your tools. And if I need you to pull a trim panel off or clean an EGR valve out, you can do that kind of stuff. And I was like, that sounds great to me. Start Monday. <laughs> so uh, this was before I got married, before Lori and I were married. And because uh, I needed to, a real job so I could get married, you know. And uh, so I remember going, I was uh, living with my grandma and granddaddy. And I went and told my, my granddad, I said, I've got a job. He said, well, what are you going to be doing? He says, he said, I was going to be a service rider. I reckon I'll be riding people home. I thought I was going to be riding them in the car, riding them home. <laughs> and it's writer, W-R-I-T-E-R. <laughs> but I didn't know what that was. So I told my granddaddy, I said, he, he said, I got to have tools. And he said, okay, well, let's get you some together. So we got, he had this uh, bin that was about that long made out of uh, tin that had nails in it. Y'all probably seen them. They're about what, what's that? 18 inches long. And you put boxes of nails in them. 
So we took the boxes of nails out and we found every hammer and screwdriver and pair of pliers that my granddad could come up with. And we put them all in there and some sockets and different stuff. And Monday morning I went to work and uh, Roland said, uh, his name was Roland, Roland Thompson. And Roland said, um, uh, do you, um, is that your tools? And I said, yeah. He said, uh, well, I was thinking you were going to have a mechanics box or something like that. And I said, I'll tell you what, Roland. I said, you let me work till Friday and get my paycheck and I'll buy whatever tool you tell me that I need. Um, and uh, so that Friday I bought, he told me I needed a, um, a oil filter wrench and a torque wrench. So I bought those. I still have my oil filter wrench and my torque wrench that I bought that Friday. Nice. I still have them, still use them. And that was a long, long time ago, Trey. Um, that was 40 years ago, close to it. Wow. So anyway, um, Roland had this weird thing where he didn't know how to, to use the word your and your or there and there. I don't know what that is, but that was something that happened with Roland. But anyway, um, that's a complete aside. So anyway, I started working there and in three months, I actually was the, uh, I did all the automatic transmission rebuilds and I did all of the electronic engine control diagnostics, that kind of stuff, literally in three months. And the reason, there was a couple of reasons. One thing was um, I understood what it was. I understood how to fix things. The other thing was, is it was about the time that um, regular carburetors and early electronic engine control was coming in and all the old school guys that were working there, one of them was Roland's brother, one of them was Roland's father. Those guys hated the idea of fuel injection and electronic engine control. They didn't want anything to do with it. They were old school carburetor people, right? you know, regular distributors and all that kind of stuff. So I told Roland, I said, I'll, I'll figure out how to fix all this stuff. So I read all the manuals and all the books and learned how to do it and became the drivability guy there. That's cool, Billy. And um, so I worked on that for a period of time. And then um, I ended up in about, about two years in, I was, I became service manager. I, I took over the service department and ran the service department until I moved to Nashville when I was 35 years old. So wow. I worked there basically most of my adult life yeah. uh, in the car business. Yeah. And built yourself up. Yeah. And during that time I played in bands. Uh, I, there was a time when I literally played, I worked five days a week at the dealership as the service manager. I also uh, at the dealership, I still worked on cars. I still built automatic manual transmissions and I did stuff like that, that I didn't have technicians it was hard to hire people that had that skill set. So I still built transmissions and stuff. And look, I'm I'm glad for my time there. I worked at a Ford place. The man's name's Win Odom. Um, he still owns the Ford place in LaGrange, North Carolina. And he was a fantastic boss, a fantastic man. He gave me a chance when I was a kid to manage the service department in his dealership. Uh, so, and I was so much of a kid that people would come in this is true. People come in and go, I need to speak to the service manager. And I'd go, I'm service manager. They go, no, seriously, where's he at? <laughs> <laughs> That's how young I was. Trey. So I had to prove myself not just to win and not to the mechanics that were working for me that were all way older than me. 
I had to, uh, most of them were double my age. You know, a lot of them are 20 years older than me, but I also had to prove myself to the customers. And I went on to, uh, to do very well there. We expanded the, uh, the service department, took on a lot of other mechanics and, and built it up to, to be uh, a, a really good thing. And I learned a lot as a manager and as a human being from Win Odom. You know, he was a mentor for me, a business mentor. He taught me a lot about how to handle business, how to handle customers, how to make money doing things. You know, it's not just about being there. You got to actually create revenue, make money doing this. And he also paid me very well. Um, I made a lot of money there and he was really good to me. And he was also very, he was kind of a hard nosed guy. He came from a, a football background. His father played football. I may be say, saying this wrong, but I'm pretty sure his father played football at Florida state mm. and, um, and Wynn played football as well. And so he was a very hard nosed business guy. And one of the things he would say is he said, you know, if you're an inch from the goal line, there's no touchdown. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and he would sell me that. He'd say, no, you didn't make, you know, he set a goal for me for a bonus or whatever. And he'd go, no, man, you missed it by a quarter. You didn't score. You know, you didn't, you didn't do it. Oh, and man. so he taught me about those kinds of things and about, about, you know, the biggest, most important thing I believe is consistency. Do the same thing, do the next right thing and do it consistently. And where people can, can, can depend on you, they can trust you and you just keep doing it over and over and over and over again, you'll be successful. And, uh, and I've carried the things that he taught me into, uh, other later parts of my life, because see, when I left, I moved to Nashville and opened the business with another company. We, we joined together and created a business. And I got in that business in the middle of it and realized that I just hated working on cars. And when I was at the Ford place, I had a guy, his name was Jerry Jones and Jerry's retired now, but uh, Jerry was the best mechanic I ever saw. He could fix anything, literally. And he looked like Jethro Bodine from the Beverly Hillbillies, was a big, you know, guy. And he could get so upset, but he was, he would get upset he didn't want to be bothered. He didn't want he didn't want customers talking to him. He just leave me alone. Let me fix your car. And so I could we could do a whole episode on things that happened at the dealership. Maybe we need to do that. Um, just all these crazy things that happened at the dealership. Uh, I've got some funny stories. But anyway, um, Jerry uh, was my go to guy. So if I got in a bind with something, I could always go to him, and he could figure out how to solve it. When I moved to Nashville and opened that company and we were brand new and we were hiring mechanics, mechanics that get out and move around, they're moving around for a reason because they're probably not very good. So I was really up against it. I had mechanics tearing up stuff faster than I could figure out how to fix it oh, because man. I didn't have that go-to guy anymore. Yeah, yeah. You know, so um, I ended up uh, selling my share of that business, getting out of it. And then I started, uh, I had a couple of weeks where I literally didn't have a job. I hadn't had that ever that I could remember ever. And uh, so I was looking around trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I answered an ad in the uh, Hendersonville newspaper. And it was for a uh, salesman for a pest control company. 
And I went and answered the ad. They hired me and I went to work for a company called U.S. Pest Protection, which is they were based out of Hendersonville. There's U.S. Pest Protections all over Middle Tennessee now. And they may be wider than that now. And I worked for uh, a guy named Sam Peden and a guy named Andy Douglas. And Sam was the owner and, and the old curmudgeonly guy. Andy was the manager and kind of trained me. And they, I started doing, getting this sales training for them where um, they were teaching me. Basically, I was going to go door to door and knock on people's doors and sell termite and pest control. And so I finally realized that they were teaching, the things they were teaching me was out of the Tommy Hopkins book, How to Master the Art of Selling. They weren't saying that, but that's what they were teaching me, that there's five steps to a sale and all these different things. But, you know, what made me successful there was I, one thing I needed to make a living. I needed to make a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And I liked the freedom of being able to just go out on my own, go door to door and that kind of stuff. But I also bought into their program. And what I mean is they were trying to teach this system and I bought into the system and learned it and applied it. And it's helped me throughout the rest of my life. When I got in the hot tub business, it helped me in the hot tub business, selling tubs and doing all those things. So the things that I got from Wynn and the things that I got from Andy Douglas and Sam Peden at U.S. Pest Protection have benefited me the rest of my life. They taught me how to sell things where in the car business, you're selling service, but that's not the same thing as knocking on somebody's door, crawling mm -hmm. under their house and coming out and selling them a, a termite job. That's right. You know? And uh, so I had to learn to do that. And I ended up being the, uh, the I sold the most of anybody in the company. And I'm sure people have outsold me since then. But at the time that I was there, I held the record. And, um, but man, I just, I bought the program. And the, the way it all worked is they wanted you to, to go, um, they wanted you to, you had to see, the way they would do it is they would draw it on the board. They would say, Eight, they would put the number 80 and then they would put two things like that and two dots. And they would say 80 people belly to belly. That's the bellies with the, with the belly buttons. <laughs> they would put it on the board. That's 80 people belly to belly. Thank you. Thank you very much. And face to face. We got three minutes left. And, uh, but they would say, you got to see 80 people every day, belly to belly and face to face. And um, so I did that. I made sure, and I would actually mark, I would, when I saw people, I kept a log of every address that I went to, how many people I saw. So it was actually a formula. And the formula was this. If I saw 80 people every single day, if I knocked on 80 doors every day, I would see about 40 people. Out of those 40 people, I would be able to pitch about 10. Of the 10 that I did a sales pitch to, I would sell about two. I would sell one that day and I would sell one within the next two weeks. Hmm. And the idea is, is you do that consistently every single day. So it goes back to that consistency. You do it consistently every single day and you make yourself go do it. You don't cut corners because I'm on my own. They, they're not with me. They don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. So I could lie and say that I did go do it and not do it. But who does it hurt? It doesn't hurt them. It hurts me. It hurts you. You know, so I consistently saw... The, and it's actually, it was 40 people belly to belly and face to face, but it took 80 doors to do it. Yeah. So it's eight, I think they do they would do 80, 40, 10. So it was 80 doors, 40 people belly to belly and face to face, 
10 pitches. And by doing that, I was highly successful. And I actually wrote the training manual for them and ended up uh, getting promoted to the, uh, uh, to the manager of the South Branch. I, I actually had to drive downtown Nashville every day over to, to uh, Berry Hill. I had an office over there. And I would go there, and I had 27 employees there. And I hired – so I was over everything. I was over the, the guys that were doing the spraying and the termites, and termite control. They were doing the pest control. I was over everybody. And um, I hired uh, uh, sales people. So I think – tell you what, let's, can we do part two of this? Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to have to do part two. And we'll tell you some stories in part two about the termite business and also the dealership business. Is that a deal? Let's do it. All right. So stand by for part two that will come out next week. If if you're not listening to this in real time, if you're not listening to it when it comes out, then it's already out. So look for part two. But this, there's so many stories. We'll go into that for the next episode. How does that sound, Trey? Hey, we're not going to double dribble. No, and we're going to tighten up every chance you get. We'll see y'all next time. Stay tuned.